1: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 253rd episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast, which is now but one of four podcasts that comprise the Hollywood Reporters Podcast Network, the others being It Happened in Hollywood, Behind the Screen, and TV's Top 5. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and I'm so pleased to be able to say that my guest today is the biggest female movie star of the last 30 years, America's sweetheart herself, Julia Roberts. Roberts' films collectively have grossed just under $3 billion domestically and just over $6 billion worldwide. Twelve took in more than $100 million domestically, and Eleven took in more than $200 million worldwide. And no fewer than Eleven topped the U.S. box office charts their opening weekend. 1990's Pretty Woman, which made her a star, and Flatliners. 1991's Sleeping with the Enemy and Hook. 1993's The Pelican Brief, 1997's Conspiracy Theory, 1999's Runaway Bride, 2000's Aaron Brockovich, 2001's The Mexican and Ocean's Eleven, 2004's Ocean's Twelve, and 2010's Valentine's Day. But Roberts, with her toothy smile, effusive laugh, flowing hair, and charming personality, is not just popular, she's also talented, tremendously talented, which is why she's amassed four Oscar nominations— Best Supporting Actress for 1989's Steel Magnolias, Best Actress for Pretty Woman and Erin Brockovich, she won for the latter, and Best Supporting Actress for 2013's August Osage County. She's also garnered one Spirit Award nom for 1988's Mystic Pizza, two Emmy noms for a 1999 guest appearance on Law & Order and for the 2014 TV movie The Normal Heart, three SAG Award noms for Erin Brockovich, for which she won August Osage County and The Normal Heart, And nine Golden Globe noms for Steel Magnolias, for which she won, Pretty Woman, for which she won again, 1997's My Best Friend's Wedding, 1999's Notting Hill, Erin Brockovich, for which she won yet again, 2007's Charlie Wilson's War, 2009's *Duplicity*. August Osage County, and most recently, this year, for her first role as a regular on a TV series. Amazon Prime's acclaimed new drama, Homecoming, on which she plays a caseworker at a center that helps combat veterans transition back into civilian life. What is perhaps most remarkable about Roberts is that her most recent big screen performance may be her best yet. Indeed, the 51-year-old shines in Ben is Back, a dramatic film about a mother desperately trying to save her son, played by Manchester by the Sea Oscar nominee Lucas Hedges, from the grips of addiction on one dark Christmas Eve. Ben Is Back was written and directed by Peter Hedges, Lucas's dad, who previously wrote the novel What's Eating Gilbert Grape and adapted it into a screenplay, and also wrote the scripts for About a Boy, for which he received a Best Adapted Screenplay Oscar nomination, and Pieces of April, Dan in Real Life, and The Odd Life of Timothy Green, all of which he also directed. Ben Is Back had its world premiere at September's Toronto International Film Festival, began rolling out in theaters on December 7th, and has brought Roberts some of the best notices of her career. Over the course of our conversation at CAA, which has long represented Roberts, she and I discussed all of the above, plus much more. So without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Julia, thank you so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. We always begin with just a few basics. Where were you born and raised? What did your folks do for a living?
0: (gasps) I like that. That's a nice jumping off point. I was born and raised in Smyrna, Georgia. Yeah, my parents, Walter and Betty, a couple awesome people, mm-hmm. kind of had a really normal childhood. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible.
1: They were very involved with the arts, right?
0: They were. They were, I mean, when I came along, because I have older siblings, mm-hmm. and so I think by the time I came along, it was coming to the end of its fun, Yeah. but my parents met in the Air Force, and lived in New Orleans for a long time. My mom went to Tulane and my dad aspired to be a writer and my mother was to be a singer-actress. And when they ended up in Atlanta, which is where my dad was originally from, they started a theater company and put on plays in Piedmont Park. And it all was kind of very incredible and came to an end I mean, I have pictures of me in diapers at the park during rehearsals, (laughs) but it's not part of my...
1: Your own memory. Yeah. Yeah. So I understand they split up when you were still pretty young and sort of worked out that you and your sister went with your mom, your brother, Eric, who people know from acting, went with your dad. And then just a short while after you lost your dad, you were just nine. That's, I think at any age, it's going to knock somebody to lose a parent. But when you're that young, how do you think that shaped you as a kid?
0: Well, I think it hardened me. And it's interesting now as a parent because now as a parent, I recognize that it is right around that age that you start to become independent as a sort of soul in the world from your parents and realize that you're not one thing. Mm-hmm. And you start to worry. That's around the age that my kid started saying, Mom, will anything ever happen to you? Will Daddy ever die? Well, you know, that starts to be part of your, I think, just normal developmental anxiety. Mm -hmm. So the fact that my father passed in that same kind of moment... It does inform you in ways that don't reveal themselves, I think, until much later. But I, I think it definitely put me in a place of
1: quiet. So if we were to, you know, run into somebody who was in middle school or high school with you and we said, what was Julia like in those days? Are we going to hear you were the pretty popular girl or the theater girl or, you know, how would they remember you?
0: Not as the popular girl or the theater girl. I think... You know, my best friend Paige and I were the rock steady, like, middle. We weren't anything one or the other. So I think that was sort of my whole life. I was this—we were Sweden.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so did you know, even going through high school, that as soon as it's over, I'm getting out of here? I'm going to New York?
0: Well, I mean, yes and no. My— Older sister Lisa and I are very close. We're very close and are very close. And so she had obviously graduated before me and moved to New York and was going to the neighborhood playhouse and studying acting. So part of me had New York in my mind because that's where she was and so I wanted to be with her. And part of me just didn't know. Everybody kind of knew what college they were going to go to and we didn't really have the money for that. And so I think ultimately, when I did leave home and move to New York, it was just to have that same movement as my friends who were all moving off to college. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm moving too.
1: (laughs) I've gone back and tried to track down as much research as I could. And but, you know, there's obviously stuff out there that's incorrect. And so I just wonder, was it originally modeling in New York?
0: Well, first, I worked at The Athlete's Foot on 72nd and Broadway, and I was the fastest lacer. Thank you. But I did some—I mean, it is that kind of—this was back in the olden days when someone does kind of see you and say, hey, we like your bushy eyebrows and your big, crazy hair. But to say I was a model would have been a massive stretch because I really wasn't. You know, it all came down to I was truly, I think, walking down the street with my brother and his then girlfriend Mm -hmm. and we bumped into someone who knew his girlfriend who i don't know if she was an agent or a manager Mm -hmm. or something and and she said you know oh you know are you an actor no i work at the athlete's foot (laughs) and athlete's foot should send me some shoes honestly i I talk about them a lot are they (gasps) are they not (laughs)
1: i'm not sure
0: it's a funny name for a shoe store it is so I ended up going in and and meeting kind of professionally, formally, Mm -hmm. this woman in her office. And she was asking me questions. And I was telling her basically that I don't know anything. And I, you know, just graduated from high school. And she said, OK, well, I can't do anything for you, but you should go meet this person. And she sent me to the man who really, truly kind of changed my life, which is a man called Bob McGowan, who was an agent in New York City and i think he was he was always so happy and enthusiastic and loved the idea of helping young people realize their dreams mm-hmm. and so he took me on as a client for no really intelligent reason
1: was he at a a big agency or his own place no
0: he was his own person he was a manager he worked out of his apartment he had i don't know a dozen or so clients Mm -hmm. and
1: so he just believed in you
0: yeah he did for no good reason you know he was just this sweetheart of a man and that's really how i knew to get headshots Mm -hmm. and and actually i was just at a screen actors guild q a for ben is back and afterwards this man walks up And it was one of the guys who was one of my pals from back in those days, who was also. Yes. Yes.
1: (laughs) That's so funny. So you start going out for, I guess, auditions and casting opportunities. And I think from what I saw, the first film you shot was one with your brother, Blood Red, but it wasn't the first one that came out. There's a few other things. But this is all basically like 30 years ago. And, you know, pre Mystic Pizza, you're known as Eric Roberts' sister. Right. But then how does Mystic Pizza enter the picture?
0: Mystic Pizza came along. At this point, I also had an agent and, you know, it was just a casting call for this film that had all these young parts, all these young people. And I remember going in and reading and I was really wrong for the part because I'm blonde and
1: not Filipino,
0: <laughs> not anything. I'm not confident. I'm not, you know. <laughs> I'm not anything that Daisy was meant to be. Right. And so I went in and I read and I got called back a couple of times. And then the last time I remember, uh, I don't know, I think it must have been the casting agent who said, you know, just so when you come in next week, you know, we're just sort of they're looking for someone with like dark hair, and you know. It's like, OK. And so. I remember going home and talking to my sister and saying, you know, dark hair. Like, I would never—the idea of—I didn't know you could really color your hair, I don't think. <laughs> so I went to Lamston's Drugstore near our apartment at the South Street Seaport, right. where at this point I work at Ann Taylor, <laughs> and bought some dark-colored hair mousse. Moose. <laughs> and you can't tell right now— people in the radio land but my locks look very tamed and delicious <laughs> when in real life they're just like over. it's like curly like crazy girl right. hair and when you put a nearly entire can of mousse <laughs> in your hair it is crunchy
1: right
0: it was really dark it was very shocking right and super gigantic and i went in and read and the actor that i read with was adam stork who ended up being cast as my boyfriend, and we are doing this scene, and I was touching my hair, and it just sounded like fingers (laughs) through potato chips, you know.
1: Well, it got the job done. It did
0: get the job. It did get the job.
1: (laughs) I guess, first of all, just to contextualize, you turned 20 during the making of that one. You put on weight to play the character, which is not something all young actresses do. I know she was meant to be voluptuous, but you were game to do that. But you've said in hindsight, quote, it's too bad that young actors coming up now will never get that kind of experience. The business is so different. You can never be that new girl that has that moment of where'd she come from, close quote. So what's changed between then and now? Why would that not be possible?
0: Well, entrusting that quote, yes, which is all I can do. <laughs> I don't know. It's all, it kind of catapults now in a way that you can't just enjoy the one moment, it seems to me. This mm-hmm. is all just my yeah. audience opinion, it seems to go from zero to a million yeah. overnight, and in that, I think you lose your sense of just personal thrill. Uh-huh. I mean, I remember very clearly going on the press tour for Mystic Pizza with my sister,
1: uh-huh.
0: and literally went from city uh-huh. to city in a way that I almost want to say by bus. It was that like you know. <laughs> We yeah. we did. We yeah. went from city to city yeah. to city and just talked to local news stations, local radio stations, and and it was fun and it was a great way to see all these places that we'd never been. You know, we'd never been to Boston, never mm. been to San Francisco. <laughs> it was thrilling, and I don't think that happens anymore. So, not to say it's ye olden days, no, but it's interesting. It's a different world today.
1: A year later, Shelby, the diabetic, dying in Herbert Ross's steel magnolias. You got your first Golden Globe and Oscar nomination for that. And I guess I wonder if for a young actress, is something like that, you know, to get some respect must feel good at that point in a career, right, where you're just wanting to be probably taken seriously, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, gosh, what do you say about that? I don't even think I saw it as respect per se, just a validation that I maybe made the right choice Mm -hmm. in my vocation and... It was nutty, but even, you know, uh, someone recently just showed me a picture of myself from the Golden Globes from Steel Magnolias, and I'm wearing this, what I think, gorgeous suit, <laughs> and, which I bought at the Giorgio Armani on Rodeo, and it was a man suit, and they tailored it for me in the store. I had a fitting, and I was up on a little platform, and I felt like they treated me like a queen, and I was so excited. and, But then when I won, I just remember I was sitting next to Sally, and I just thought, what? you know, God, what— what now? What does that even mean? It was so...
1: Well, the wheels probably would have already been in motion for the next project by that point, right? I mean, a year later is Pretty Woman. But what was interesting, it seems like when you signed on, first of all, or when you first were circling that, it was not called Pretty Woman, it was called 3000. Mm -hmm. And it was not a comedy. Mm -hmm. So for them to have looked at you at that point, it was not because they saw romantic comedy potential. And for you to go after the project, it was not because you had any idea what it would become. So how did that evolve to to what it became, which I guess really was the big turning point?
0: Well, it was a script that was very dark that I had auditioned for a few times at a different studio, Mm -hmm. a small studio. And it seemed like they wanted me for the job. And I was super excited and happy. And then that, I mean, to call it a studio, I guess it was just a film company, Mm -hmm. Folded, Oh, wow. Over a weekend. And so all my promise just was gone that I had this job. Right. And then very quickly, the property was picked up by Disney. And very quickly, in my mind, mm-hmm. Gary Marshall came on to direct it. And so they called me and said, well, they've decided since you were sort of attached to this that they will see you in this new iteration of what it will be. And I was like, but wait, I don't.
1: How's a prostitute going to be in a Disney movie? I don't yeah. get
0: it. It's a Disney movie. She's right. a drug addict. Right. Like, I'm a little confused. Gary Marshall. Right. And I went in to meet Gary. And really, it was just such a big moment in my life because, as I have often said to him and to anyone who will listen to me <laughs> talk, you know, I say Gary Marshall raised me. right? Because I think he raised most people my age, and I just went in, and I was so, like, nervous. And he said, so what is it with you? (laughs) Some people say they can't dress you up. Some people say you can't dress you down. So what is it with you? (laughs) I was like, I have no idea. (laughs) What? And we just kind of fell into this incredible relationship that I'm so— beholden to.
1: And it's interesting because it sounds like the other pieces then came together around you. At one point, it sounds like you read with Charles Grodin before they ever had Richard Gere.
0: I read with everybody. Everybody. <laughs> I read the script with Al Pacino. Wow. I read with Charles. I read with Bill Pullman. I read with Christophe Lambert. I mean, that's
1: crazy. And, yeah. and one thing that I was wondering when I came across this stuff about it originally not being this, this rom-com, when you met with real L.A. prostitutes, was that when you thought it was still a drama?
0: No, it was after After, I got the job again. But it was just to have an understanding. Because to me, you just think, how does that happen? Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know anything at this point. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, I don't know anything Mm -hmm. about the world. So just to go and talk to some girls and find out how they are where they are. What happens? What does that mean?
1: So for you, as recently as 28 years ago, I don't think opening weekends meant the same thing that they mean today where, you know, a movie actually could develop a following over a few weeks. And I don't recall whether or not Pretty Woman was immediately a huge thing right out of the gate. I can recall for Well, please. You, Scott, yeah, please.
0: Only because I was away doing Sleeping with the Enemy. Yeah. And one of the guys on my crew was reading USA Today. Yeah. And said, hey, this movie you're in, Pretty Woman, made $11 million this weekend. It's number one. Right. And I remember thinking, wow, 11, is that a
1: lot? Like,
0: <laughs> I had no idea.
1: So what was the for you the first real visible evidence like, holy shit, I'm a, I'm a movie star in a different way than I was before?
0: Well, I went home to Georgia to visit my mom and my younger sister, and we went to the movies. And I used to work right across from the movie theater at the ice cream little vendor. And so we go into the movies, and— I think it was after the movie was over and I was in the bathroom and there was a woman in the bathroom who said, Hey girl in stall number one, were you a Mystic Pizza? I said, Yeah. Will you sign this? And she put something no, under, the, under stall. the stall. Oh my I said, god. I Um
1: Right now, oh my god! Wait,
0: this is different.
1: So that's the first kind of real taste of of celebrity. What's it like then? I mean, I would imagine it was pretty soon after that. You, if you know, you go to the supermarket and you see yourself on a tabloid for the first time or something like that. Is that jarring?
0: I don't remember that kind of a moment Mm -hmm. happening, but it was little things. I mean, and that's what I mean. It's like incremental. Like success was incremental. Strangeness was incremental discovering that people were discovering you was incremental that was you know the big difference about pre internet success right
1: you were also not somebody i mean today there are a lot of people who when they get a profile they immediately are very outspoken politically or things like that i don't remember you doing that and i wonder if that was a calculation which would have been very rational that you know, you're going to turn off a lot of there's half the people that don't agree with you most of the time if you do that. Was that a calculated thought?
0: I mean, calculated gives me too much credit, but I do think that as an actor, there is some sense of responsibility of wanting to shield people from you Mm -hmm. so that when they go to see you perform, they just walk in and say, who is she?
1: They can lose themselves. Yeah. yeah.
0: So I think that that's always been in my mind a little bit. Yeah. Just, you know, to make it easier to make that leap. Yeah. I know I want an easy leap when I go to the movies. Sure.
1: Absolutely. So as things were going on, you said sleeping with the enemy was the first thing after Pretty Woman. Then you had an interesting kind of gap where there's Hook and then not for two more years, the Pelican Brief, which you've talked about being in some ways making you— maybe re-fall in love with what you were doing, Alan Pakula directing it. What had happened during those interim years? Was it just sort of acclimating to a very different new reality?
0: Well, I was asked to do a lot of things and That's I would right. read things and just think, God, this is, this is kind of crap. Like, <laughs> am I supposed to be doing this? Mm-hmm. And I just had this moment where I thought, do I say yes because It's the momentum of what's happening, Mm -hmm. or do I really just wait until something makes me feel inspired? And I don't know why or how I found the composition inside myself to say, I think I'm just going to wait. And certainly I didn't think it would be two years.
1: Right. But that was the right one to come back for, it seems like. I
0: mean, you know, first of all, Alan Pakula was a hero Mm -hmm. of mine. And for him to be calling me, I was like,
1: well, Mm -hmm.
0: hold on. Let me get out my clean dress and (laughs) go to this lunch.
1: And you went to Bath for Denzel, I think, right? I did.
0: I did. That was my idea because I had just seen Moe Betta Blues Mm -hmm. and Alan and I were talking and I said, well, what about Denzel Washington Mm -hmm. for Greg Grantham? And here I'm swinging for the fences and why not? We're just having a conversation. And I just remember Alan saying, is interesting I'm gonna call you back right and, I was like, oh. <laughs> and Sam Shepard and what a dream job and what a great validation that all of the no's were correct right and as a parent now that's what I say I go the whole point of saying no is to learn the power and joy of yes
1: So when you, I would assume, you know, nobody's making decisions for you. So when you then took on a few period pieces, like in 96, both of them, Mary Riley, Michael Collins, Mm. things like that, and maybe they didn't get the same traction as some of these others. What's the theory there? I've heard, I think it's similar question came up recently with Jennifer Lawrence, like she tries to do a period piece or a fantasy piece, but people first discovered her like you in contemporary sort of lighter fair, and it becomes harder for the public to accept that. If you could be equally successful in anything, would you have preferred to have branched out into those kinds of areas more?
0: Uh, more? There's still more to come. Yeah, but yeah. I think I was making decisions that I still stand by. Yeah. I mean, to work with Stephen Frears and to work with Neil Jordan, these are badges of honor Absolutely. on my Girl Scout actor totally. sash. And I also think they're two great movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is the truly incredible thing. I know that people that aren't in this business and they feel like so many people make decisions for actors and this and that. And for me, I've always been very strong in my convictions and choices and have only been talked into a different choice one time.
1: Which you won't share, will you? And
0: of course <laughs> not. But it's incredible to have a 30-year career. And to stand next to it and say, yeah, yeah. That, that is the sum of all of my decisions because ultimately you can't sit there and say, well, when I did this movie, I was working with this person and they had said, oh, this might be good for – you know, yeah. it's all me.
1: So – moving into the late 90s now, which is where I think this whole, I mean, I'm sure it all... I
0: feel like this is your life, honestly. Uh, I'm what? just waiting for people to come into the door and That's say, all, and just do you remember? I'm not, I'm not that impressive. Do you remember this voice?
1: <laughs> I mean, this whole concept of America's sweetheart, I mean, there's been things like that with Mary Pickford, going back right to the very beginning, there's somebody that people really relate to and like, and I think that was probably cemented with these movies over the summers in the late 90s. Let's just remind people, My Best Friend's Wedding, Notting Hill, Runaway Bride.
0: And also being in a movie called America sweetheart, America's Sweetheart. Even well, though was later, I wasn't yes. <laughs> the America's Sweetheart, it does kind of seal the deal. You're
1: very generous to share that with somebody else. <laughs> but first thing was with my best friend's wedding, I was reading that if there's one movie you're going to watch with your kids or you look forward to watching with your kids or something, it would be I can't wait. Yeah. So what is, but that movie was the experience was so positive, or what is it about that?
0: I just think that movie is so winning and dermot to this day yeah. as my. Later career proves we're just the best of friends and I adore him and he's part of my life. And the idea of seeing us as these young people and this incredible just predicament of this movie, I just think it would be so fun because they're moving into the age where they will, you know, find their best friends that are of the opposite sex and find that person that you go, gosh, you know, down the road, if I don't find that person... Will you be that person right, for right, me?
1: Right. That was great. I, it's
0: just a jewel.
1: I think you had a little more hesitation agreeing to do Notting Hill because just to remind folks, this is a movie star who falls in love with a, you know, regular guy, bookseller, Hugh Grant. And I guess just as a kind of funny aside here, but I'm I, wondering, you know, the idea that a movie star might fall in love with a regular Joe or, you know, this whole I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking you to love her. Did you ever actually date someone who wasn't in the business ever? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Really?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: How does that work?
0: Just fine. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, my husband's a cinematographer, right. but he's, you know, not in the business the way I'm in the business. Like, look over here. Right. Hi. <laughs> hi. Look over here. <laughs> he's not that guy.
1: All right. No, I was just curious about that. And then Runaway Bride, same year as as Notting Hill, back with Gary and Richard Gere, nine years after Pretty Woman. Very different stages of all of your lives. Is, super different. So, was the experience different?
0: Yeah, super different. Yeah, but in a fascinating way because here I went from being a kind of adult sized child to being an adult. <laughs> right. So, that was one difference for me, right. a big difference. Yeah, no, it was a different story, a different place, a different time. And I think Gary was the most the same, he was the glue. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because you do think it's all going to be the same, but of course it's not. I have so much more experience. Mm-hmm. I have so much more life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I loved it, but it was extraordinarily different. It was like being with a whole new right, right, right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Year after that is the one that people will remember you. You won your Oscar for Aaron Brockovich with Soderbergh. It seemed like that meant, and as I would expect, it for for most people would mean you know meant a lot to you, but. I wonder why, because at that point, you know that you're popular with the public. You know that you're, I would think, respected in the industry. What is it about an Oscar? And or was it maybe because it was for that specific role, which had demanded something of you that others hadn't? Or what was it that, you know, why that meant as much to you as it seemed to?
0: I think it was working with Stephen. You know, he had come to meet me when I was doing Runaway Bride. Mm-hmm. And I had worked late and I came home to my apartment and he was waiting outside my doors and I was like oh I'm so sorry I am so <laughs> late and and I thought he had we were in Baltimore I thought he had taken the train down from New York he'd flown from California so I was like oh good god you know you've made a terrible mistake you should not have come all this way to talk to me and we had this great conversation and such a a kind of meeting of the minds and I I don't know he's he's really one of my favorite humans he just is his whole point of view his approach his his demeanor his work ethic i just i marvel at him to this day and so i think so much of what moved me about that moment was the experience and the collaboration of it and and the story and how i felt about it aaron eckhart mm-hmm. was just such a great partner And God, and it just wasn't in any way painful.
1: Yeah. Well, I know that you felt, I think, at least as passionately about your collaboration with the next person I want to ask you about, Mike Nichols, because it started with Closer, because I believe from what I understand, Kate Blanchett got pregnant. So thanks for that. Thank you. Um, (laughs) But then three years later, again, with Charlie Wilson's war. But it seems like in some ways he became the father that fate never kind of let you have, right?
0: He was. I mean, he was. And really, Stephen and Mike were so close. So Stephen introduced me to Mike. Oh, I didn't know that. And I knew Diane Sawyer previously, but that's how I met Mike. And then my good fortune of Kate having a baby (laughs) and falling out of Closer, which, I mean, I love when those things happen. You know, Meg Ryan was supposed to be in Steel Magnolias, and she wasn't (laughs) done filming when Harry met Sally, right. and so they said, well, we're moving on without you. So that's my good fortune. Was there ever
1: one where it worked the other way? I
0: hope so. There has to be. <laughs> I think there was. Well, you had,
1: I think you were once attached to Shakespeare in Love, right?
0: I was. So
1: you're Gwyneth, welcome, Gwyneth, you're,
0: we- <laughs> you're welcome. But that's the fun thing about the business. If you're around long enough, right. you know, it does kind of feel like, it and ultimately yeah. you do realize it's better for you and it's, you know, and Mike was just... I can remember really every moment from this moment we met at the Bel Air Hotel for Closer. And I was so nervous that I got there 40 minutes early <laughs> and I sat in the car on the street and I just was like.
1: Nervous because of all the great cheeks. movies that he would made oh, yes. that you knew about. Yeah. He is.
0: I mean, he's, yeah. he's the greatest of all time.
1: Yeah. Well, one other collaboration I'm just going to hit on because, again, it was two within a very short period of time. And it's a very different person, I guess. But, you know, you seem to like working with each other as Ryan Murphy.
0: Yes. We had
1: Eat, Pray, Love in 2010. And then your first sort of dabbling into TV, which will continue, obviously, a few years after. But with The Normal Heart, the TV movie, I guess you had really had a moving experience with Eat, Pray, Love that made you want to continue.
0: Well, Ryan is an exceptional person. We just had his birthday dinner a few nights ago. And there's something about Ryan that is so open and interested and positive. I mean, I'm very happy and optimistic. And he's not that, but he is just interested in the promise. Uh And he is really very positive. And I just, I don't know, whenever I'm with him, I'm just so happy to be in a space with him. And we're so different, you know. I just—I love it. And so when we did Eat, Pray, Love, it was incredible, and I think we, we had a great time together. And then for the normal heart, that was something that had been around for such a long time, and I had—people had, you know, asked me about it mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. And when he got his hands on it, I thought, it's perfect. It's in the right hands. Right. He is he is the person to shepherd this incredible story to the masses.
1: Totally. One last pre twenty eighteen question is going to be about August H county you and Merrill, I believe share an agent, maybe at that time I don't know, and there was some idea that you know it would be of course it would be cool to get get you two and a in something together when she, we had her on here a couple of years ago, and she was saying that when she does a project, it now precedes her this whole. Greatest actress alive. Greatest actress ever. This whole – there's a something that she feels she what has a burden. to – I know what well, a bummer. No <laughs>
0: but she
1: feels <laughs> – But like when you get to a Poor set Merrill. and you're <laughs> – But like you have to not – you know, with, with a, a, a young co-star, she feels it takes a couple days to diffuse the situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking there aren't many other people that have something like that where it's probably their co-stars have – are so kind of jolted by just being in the room with a person. I think it might apply to you as well. So I'm wondering, do you have a technique? Obviously, this is just bouncing off of August Osage, not about August Osage, but you go on a movie with a young guy like Lucas Hedges, who's probably known about you for as long as he can remember and is probably to some extent crapping his pants. How do you make yourself human to that person?
0: Well, I did the same thing with Lucas that I did with Meryl. I just I try to make them feel comfortable right I'm using my radio voice (laughs) I know you just want someone to see the human of you Mm -hmm. that's what Meryl wants that's what I want that's what Lucas wants Mm -hmm. so that you feel safe so that you can play with this person so that you can be spontaneous so that you can I mean it's in my case with Meryl it's so that we can kind of Literally and We're metaphorically all... beat each other up <laughs> and just talk about the fish, bitch, right. and you know that was not an easy scene. That, that was great. And with Lucas, it's the same thing. You know, I invited him into our home, and he spent a lot of time with my family and with myself, and we rehearsed in my home with Peter and Catherine, and and then he spent Thanksgiving with my family. And
1: this is after he didn't even want to do anything on this movie because his dad was making it, which he well, thought was out, right. He
0: and he says, and I will now speak differently because okay. I've, I've heard him speak of this enough to yeah. say, it's not that he didn't want to work with his dad. Yeah. It's that that's a strange situation. Of course, of course, And he wanted to, I think, honor that space. And this was a story that made him reconsider what does that space really mean? And could I be any safer in this space than with my father? Right, I can't really imagine it, and I did feel like the girl between two hedges, <laughs> but I think that they did an incredible job bringing out the best in each other and and were very professional. And I felt that Peter allowed Lucas and I to have a very close relationship exclusive uh-huh. from, you know, he didn't feel that it had to be a team. He knew that he could let us have our own situation over here. Separate from him, and and that was really important for us.
1: Well, and you guys have some really gut wrenching moments, your your characters together, where you're basically for people who haven't seen it yet. You know, it's almost like a reverse. It's a Wonderful Life. Not this is what would have happened if you had died, but this is what happened because you lived. We're going to go back and retrace these mm-hmm. these steps, and and some of them, your your moment in the cemetery with him, your scene where you confront him in the mall. I guess I just wonder for you as a mother and as an actress to play those scenes, was was there one that was most challenging or most emotional to do?
0: I think probably, you know, it's a blessing and a curse to do scenes, emotional scenes by yourself. So probably the police station Mm
1: -hmm.
0: because I'm by myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm also with people that I've never met before. I mean, I try to come in ahead of time and sort of go like, hi. (laughs) Nice to meet you. Yeah. (laughs) You've seen the movies so you kind of understand. It's like, oh,
1: hi.
0: Yeah. It's (laughs) one o'clock in the morning already. And and this is what we're doing. And then for obvious reasons, I think the last scene in the movie is particularly challenging because I'm also in a way by myself. And but the great thing at all times was that it was, for me, for Holly, it was all about Ben. For me, it was all about Lucas. Like, we had actually found, we'd manifested, you know, this alchemy, yeah. which was a lifetime. I mean, I really feel so close with him, and it was so great. A couple of weeks ago, we were in New York doing press, and just to, to go back to hearing the way he puts thoughts together just brought me so much joy.
1: But when you first signed up for that movie... What was it? I mean, I wonder if the, if you notice any patterns in the projects that you personally respond to the most. If, you know, to me, it seems like in Holly, there's a little bit of the Aaron Brockovich refusing to take no for an answer or give up. There's certain other, I think there's strands that I see. Do you see anything that runs through all the work?
0: I, I mean, not Really, because I don't examine it in that mathematical way, I would be fascinated for someone to tell me the equation, but it's always from satisfaction to Ben is back, Uh less about rent for Ben is back than satisfaction, but it's all (laughs) just kind of a feeling in my stomach where I say, oh yeah,
1: I want to be part of this. You kind of know, you don't have to sleep on it. Never. Never. Interesting. I want to mention because you did get a Golden Globe nomination this week for another thing called Homecoming, oh, which yeah. is great on Amazon Prime and from a podcast. So, you know, you're, you're the best thing that's happened to podcasts in a, in a long time. Yay. So your first role as a series regular on TV. Every episode is directed by Sam Esmail. It's at the vanguard of these shows that are bringing back the half hour drama. What does it tell us about the state of film and the state of TV that even the person maybe most synonymous with the phrase movie star is now doing TV?
0: Gosh, you're so flattering. I don't even know how <laughs> to kind of – I just have to take a little moment to absorb all that. I just – it's content, right? And TV has expanded. I mean when I was a young person, there was 2, four, seven, 12 in UHF. Right. <laughs> Channel 17, what the hell is that? That's all there was, right? right. And yeah. so now there's just, there's so much more space. And with that brings content. And with that brings the brilliance of a really incredible person like Sam Esmail, who yeah. is my true dear friend now.
1: It's a great show. I guess with the last, like, 90 seconds here, if we can, I would love to do, we often close with a rapid fire. Just the first thing that comes to your mind, nothing too crazy, would you do another rom-com? Of course. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Do you have any interest in directing?
0: (sighs) Very little.
1: Yeah. I mean, not not to say none, but just to
0: say it's minuscule.
1: (laughs) Which other very famous person has impressed you the most as far as the way he or she handles the day-to-day challenges of celebrity that you know very well? Brad Pitt. Any Anything specific that he, that he does or he just stays calm?
0: He's perfect. Yeah.
1: <laughs> if you had hit the scene today instead of 30 years ago, could you have become the same sort of star that you did then? And would you have wanted to given the current media and celebrity landscape?
0: I think I can only answer the first part of that question, which would be no. You don't think so? I don't think so.
1: I guess there aren't. they're not making movie stars like that anymore, right?
0: Not to sound like Mary, Mary Pickford, the aforementioned Mary Pickford, but I guess not. Well, Tallulah you, Bankhead well, here and good night. Well, you, talk about, you hit it, though, with the
1: fragmented landscape. Like people's attention is not able yeah, to be concentrated. It's, it's not the same. Last one. What do you miss most about anonymity? And in hindsight, was it worth giving it up to do what you do?
0: Going to amusement parks and yes.
1: Interesting. Thank you so much. I really Thank appreciate
0: you. it nice to talk to you You this is your life (laughs) good night mary pickford (laughs) Awesome. thanks so much thank you scott
1: thanks very much for tuning in to awards chatter we really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast for free on itunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. And you can follow all of my coverage between episodes at thr.com slash the race. Until next time, thanks for joining us. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
0: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
1: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.